Uh, I get to teach the Bible most weeks here. Just grateful for you being here. And of course, it's always good to see family week in and week out. For those of you who call SBC home, and thankful for you guys. Um, we're going to be in First Peter this morning. So uh, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. And then uh, if you don't have a Bible, one of these guys in the back would love for uh, you to follow along with us. Just raise your hand and they'll make sure you get one. And like I said, turn to First Peter. Before we get into there, uh, a couple things I want to mention. One is <clears throat> in a few weeks, uh, we're going to start the book of Ruth. And um, we've purchased, uh, these are available for purchase in the bookstore. I mentioned them last week. Uh, they're, they're called the ESV Scripture Journal. And on one side uh, is, uh, this is just the book of Ruth. It's not the entire Bible. Um, and uh, on one side is the scripture, on the other side is the journal. And so for those of you who are going to follow along with uh, Ruth with us week in and week out, this will be a great resource for you. They do sell, these are only $6, but they, they do sell uh, separately the uh, New Testament and then the Old Testament. And we'll special order those for you if you want them, but they're pretty pricey. Uh, so we don't, we, we only had, um, I think, two available in the bookstore that are gone. So the, the New Testament is like 70 bucks, and it's all, all of the books of the New Testament separated. And then the Old Testament is, it was on sale, I think, for like $111 or something like that. So it's pretty pricey. It's close to 200 bucks uh, for the whole deal. So, um, but what I'm going to do is, since we do teach through books of the Bible, each time we go through a book, uh, we'll purchase some of these for you, and you can, you can just purchase them. And then in 25 years, when we get through the whole Bible, you'll have the whole set. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> uh, I mentioned last week, uh, we've been, we were in a series, a two-part series last week where we, we talked about humility and service. And I quoted a couple times Tim Keller's book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Uh, and so we do have some of these for purchase in the bookstore as well. Uh, and uh, I, I actually didn't read the book. I listened to it on um, uh, audiobook, and it's a 40-minute uh, listen, uh, which means you should be able to read it faster than that. Uh, so it's a, it's a quick read. It's a good read. And uh, we have some of those for you too. Um, so with that said, if you'd stand with me, please, if you're able to, 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read the text. I'll introduce to you what I want to accomplish this morning. Um, yeah. Chapter 5, verse 6. Notice the first word, which ties into the last couple weeks, humble. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, or prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Um, okay, so I, not to be redundant, um, but to at least explain, you know, what I've been trying to do the last few weeks. Uh, Really, I've, I've taken a step back just as, you know, a shepherd, as a pastor, as a leader. And, and since we've been doing topical messages the last few weeks instead of what we normally do, which is to go through the book, books of the Bible and praying, okay, God, like, what is the timely message that, that you desire and that you want for your church? And so, you know, we, we talked about humility and service. So if you remember, you know, being a Christian, we're called alongside 
God, to join God in his work, and to serve him. And I shared how that's impossible if you don't have humility, if you don't humble yourself and allow the Lord to be the Lord. And um, and then even further, I, you know, this has been, I don't know what it's been like for you, but this has been a hard February for me. And, and I've almost, I've almost felt like, uh, the the cloudiness, not so much the snow, even though, you know, I do gripe about the snow, not so much with the snow, the grayness and the clouds. It's almost has felt like a metaphor for what's happening inside so many people's lives. And as a pastor, right, I'm having conversations with people and how they're doing and what they're going through. And I, I'll just be honest with you, like, uh, it has been hard for so many people in our congregation specifically um, we, we've had several people diagnosed with cancer in the last month. Oh, um, Becky Underwood, who we love. I, be, I don't know how many of you know Becky Underwood. She's a small uh, gal, wonderful gal. I, uh, Becky Underwood has been in my life since I was a little kid. And I used to live uh, in, uh, up behind the 7-Eleven by the high school in uh, Meadow, Meadowwood Park. And I would, as a kid, six, seven, eight years old, probably not six, that's probably too young, but at least seven, eight years old, I would walk down to uh, the pet stop, and Becky Underwood w- used to work at the pet stop. And uh, I'd, I'd talk to her. As the, so I, she's been in my life for a long time, and, and um, she's in hospice, and she doesn't have uh, very many days left, very few. And uh, she's going to go home to see the Lord here soon. And, and so we have things like that. And then, and then ultimately, <clears throat> ultimately, too, up from a pastoral level and counseling, people, I've had just a lot of people dealing with depression and anxiety. Um, First of all, depression and anxiety just rampant in society as a whole, but uh, specifically more so than any other season I can think of, at least in our church, just a lot of people just hurting. And and, uh, you start to wonder, you know, like, is sad a real thing? You know, the sad term, seasonal affective disorder. And uh, it's just like, man, Lord, give me some sunshine. And I was out walking the other day, and the sun peeked out for a little bit, and I started feeling like, (sighs) and then clouds came back, and I was like, oh, Okay, and um, and here's the thing that I wanted to accomplish this week. Peter has written this book, and he the the theme of the book could be called uh, "Stand Firm." And in chapter five, verse twelve, he says, "This is the true grace of God: Stand Firm." And, and Peter Peter is no uh, stranger to suffering. He's no stranger to depression. Uh, he and in fact, he's writing he's writing to an area of churches roughly around 129,000 square miles, Rome. Uh, Babylon is what he calls it, to paint the picture of how dark uh, the, the culture was, was that he was living in. Just give you an idea of how big that is. California is somewhere between 159 to 163,000. I, I saw two different statistics. One said 159, another one 163. Not that you care, but if you Google it, you know I'm not trying to make it up. So he's writing roughly to uh, an area, uh, roughly that size, that many people, uh, and, and he says some of these things. Listen to what he says in several places inside of, uh, of Peter to Rome, to the churches, to Christians. This is two Christians. Listen now. One of them in verse 6, you are distressed by various trials. Chapter 2, verse 11, foreign lusts wage war against your soul. Chapter 2, verse 21, you have been called to suffer. Chapter 3, verse 16, they revile, they revile your good behavior. Chapter 4, verse 4, they malign you because you're not running with the sinners anymore. Chapter 4, verse 14, you are reviled for the name of Christ. 
So Peter's writings, just so you understand the ultimate theme of Peter, Peter does an amazing job talking about the grace of God, and then he also does an amazing job talking about the struggling that Christians go through. Martin Luther had such a high view of Peter's book that he called it one of the noblest books in the entire New Testament. In addition to that, Luther said that he believed that Peter contained all that was necessary for the Christian to know. This is it. He kind of just saw, I mean, he obviously was a student of the entire Bible, but he had a high regard for Peter. And so if you look at the text before you that we've just read, he tells us to be watchful, and then he gives us the reason why. He says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What I wanted to do this morning in light of the fact that there are people who are suffering in our church, might be you, it has been me to a certain degree, uh, what, what is going on? Uh, C.S. Lewis, when he talks about the devil, C.S. Lewis says there's actually two pitfalls. And we've talked about this before. I think we talked about it a little bit when we were studying in the book of James. One of those pitfalls, says, he says, is overbelief, and the other one is called underbelief. Overbelief is the kind of person who grew up in church, and, and they've been taught about the devil, they've been taught about their Christianity, and, and they regard every kind of suffering, every kind of trial, every kind of tribulation, anything that you could think of, and they just attribute it all to the devil. Everything's the devil. Have you ever met those Christians? Right? Everything is superstitious. Everything is, it's, it's oh my gosh, you sneezed because you're in sin, and Satan's after you. you your, your kids get sick because the devil hates you. You know, those kind of things. That, that's what he said. One side of the pendulum is to just, is to just blame, the, blame it all on the devil. And the reason you can't do that is because sometimes you go through struggling for another kind of reason. And, it, and it, there's lots of different things that could be, but it isn't always the devil. Sometimes God can actually put something in your life and allow it in your life for your sanctification, for your growth. Uh, and then the other side, the other side is, is underbelief. You don't attribute anything to the devil. You don't attribute anything to Satan. And it doesn't say that it's just always Satan's fault, but spiritual attack. Like we were told in the Bible that, that as Christians, we recognize we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against a spiritual realm. We wrestle against darkness that we can't even see. And what happens, because we're so used to seeing stuff in front of us, is we don't attribute, it, as Christians as a whole, we don't talk about Satan, we don't talk about the devil, because it makes us sound weird. Doesn't it? You know, you tell someone who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, that, that there is a God and there is a devil. And, and a lot of people nowadays, they're like, no, that's weird, right? And so we go about all kinds of other solutions in our culture that says, listen, yeah, there's brokenness, but if we vote the right guy into office, if we, if we uh, start doing enough good, if we get into you know, more socialistic behavior, whatever it might be, we'll fix these things. We need better counseling, better education, better whatever, and we'll make society better. And the Bible, the Bible approaches it purely from a spiritual standpoint. And says, listen, like, like there is a God and there is, there, is, there is a devil and he hates you. And so what I want to do this morning is say, okay, listen, some of us have struggled over the last month. Partially because it's gray outside. And we could just attribute it to that, right? Like, like daylight savings time just came. I was just getting used to the fact that when I woke up, it wasn't dark outside. Right? And now they, we change the time and, and I wake up this morning and I go, what? It's still dark. It should be illegal to get up when it's still dark. That's kind of how I feel that way. I feel like it, if it's dark, you should still be sleeping. Wayne disagrees with me completely. He, he's never woken up when he hasn't seen the sun's sunrise. He always sees the sunrise. It's amazing. Except for the last month because there hasn't been one, right? Um, so, 
So there's, those, there, there's these two mistakes we make. We don't attribute it to the devil or we over-attribute it. And, and I, think, I think to a degree in this last month, I would step back as a pastor, as a Christian. And, and just from, because I, I get, unfortunately and fortunately, I get to see more hurt, more suffering, more pain than most people do uh, in a week than some people do in six months or a lifetime, quite possibly. Uh, you know, I can't go anywhere. And if someone finds out I'm a pastor, man, like somebody's opening up to me. I did a wedding in Palm Springs and a guy came up to me in, uh, after the wedding and just shared his life with me and told me he hated himself and he hated his life. Here I am at a wedding and now I'm pastoring a guy who's not even a Christian, but he wants to share with me how sad he is, right? So I hear these things and I step back and I have to go, okay, listen, listen, it's not just clouds. Sometimes it is, but it isn't. Sometimes it's this reality that the enemy is after the Christian. And he's always been after God or God's seed. We see that he was after Israel because he knew. Satan knew that if he could destroy Israel, he would destroy the seed that would come for the Messiah. Then he was after the Messiah. He tried to destroy the Messiah. Imagine the world in which Jesus was born into, where Herod finds out that some young baby's been born and he's been labeled quite possibly the king of the Jews. So what does Herod do? He slaughters every child in the known area under two years. What a bloodbath. What a horrible thing. And this is the world in which he was born into because Satan was after the seed. And now that the seed has come, right, the the seed of the virgin has come, we now have been born of that seed. We now are offspring. We are children of Jesus Christ. We, We have a father. And he's not the earthly father that failed you. He's God the Father. And he loves you and he cares for you. And you were born of Jesus Christ's seed. If you believe in Jesus, you have become the offspring of Jesus. So guess what? He hated Israel because Israel is going to be the seed. He hated Jesus. And now, now he hates you. And it tells us that he's this roaring lion, man. He's on the prowl and he's looking to defeat and to kill. He knows He knows that if he destroys you, he's getting back at Christ. Listen to the descriptions that the Bible gives of Satan. A dragon. The lion here. A strong man. The god of this world. The power of the air. John Piper says, of the devil. Listen to this now. Very good description here of definition he uses. One of the most sobering facts, hopefully I can sound like a news anchor, one of the most sobering acts, facts about the life is that all humans have a supernatural enemy whose aim is to use, listen carefully to this part, the power of the enemy, the enemy uses two things here, pain and pleasure. Pain and pleasure to make us blind stupid, and miserable forever. Listen to the definition. It's important. Part of Satan's tactic is to put pain in your life, to put hurt in your life, to put depression in your life. And it's easy to attribute that to something and say, man, it's, it, God's upset with me, or I've sinned, or I've, I've done something. But, but the other part of the definition is just as important. He also uses pleasure. He can also use pleasure. I would say, Pleasure is probably even more dangerous than pain. 
When one of the worst things the church could ask for, one of the worst things the church can have is to have everything go right. I mean, think about it. When everything's going well in your life, and so, so when I say it's been a hard February, several of you, several of you, because I get to see all your faces, several of you are like this. There's, there's a few of you in the room that are like, you can't relate. Everything's awesome. Everything is great. You're singing the Lego song, right? Everything is awesome. Like, and we're thankful for you. We are. You need to encourage those who are weak. You need to bless those who are weak. You, you, I, just, I can't get Emmett out of my head now that I just said that. I just say everything is awesome. Um, but for the most part, well, so we, can, we, we can relate with this reality and go, okay, listen, if everything's right, I'm going to forget God. That's what happens when everything goes right. And then when things go wrong, you call out to God. Right? And in fact, in fact, I, I was reading this week that some sociologists believe that humanity is its most happy when it's in a challenge. And that part of the reason that, that there is depression that is rampant is there's nothing to conquer anymore. There's nothing to do. There's no more adventure. I got a, um, I was, uh, I was at um, my, my kids' volleyball yesterday with some other parents, and the kids were playing volleyball. Were they, they were attempting to play volleyball. And, uh, and while they're playing volleyball, Jeremy comes up to me, Rogelstad, I don't know how many of you know him, uh, and uh, Christy's his wife, and she, she works uh, at Squaw so she can get free tickets, right? That's the thing to do. If you can't afford tickets, you just work part-time and you get free tickets. And she showed, uh, she sent him a text message of the KT lift yesterday. 150 people in line. And, and so I don't, you guys know, I haven't skied since I was like 20 years old. I haven't snowboarded. I haven't done any of that. So I, I'm, I'm not someone that, that, like, don't look at me and be like, man, Jesse's a cool snowboarder. He's a cool skier. No, <laughs> I am not any of those things at all. What'd you say? No one thought. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm about to get to you in a moment, man. Careful. <clears throat> so I said to him, I was like, Is the, have you been down KT? Not, th- not this season. See, there you go. See, I'm going to get you, man. And so... So I said, I, said, I said to Jeremy, I was like, is that, is that run that great? And he said, well, if you like bombing off cliffs and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And I said, so it's kind of a technical hard deal. I go, yeah. And I go, well, I looked at the line. I thought, there's no way all 150 people are that good. That's what I thought. They're not all that good. And I said, how many of them are really good at it? And he goes, most of them look terrible going down the hill. And he said, very few of them are, are, are that good. And he said, a lot of them just do it so they can say they did it. Now comes Zach. That's what Zach said. I, I, last year. <laughs> I was technical last year, but not this year. Don't worry. And I, the, the, reason, the reason I share that, though, is because, because there's something inside of us. Wayne called it after the service, after I preached this in the first service, the, the, the warrior spirit. There's something in us that wants to conquer, wants to overcome, wants to do anything. One sociology, uh, social, uh, I can't remember, the, the study one study actually says this is one of the reasons why so many young adult males continue to play video games. Because it's a sense of adventure, a sense of overcoming. And in and, and our culture, that's become very pacifist. But most of us in the area here, we live here because we want that, right? We like the, the run. We enjoy the challenge. And the reality is, those most of us, most of us are just, you know, we're just mediocre. I shared in the first service, Andy Finch was in the first service. That's it. Most of us in the room are not like Andy Finch. We can't do what Andy did. 
right? You're like, I did KT. Yeah, but you didn't do it like Andy did it. Any, anyone else been to the Olympics here this morning? Okay, no, you did. You're, you're average. You're, you're average, Zach. <laughs> He'll never speak in service again. <laughs> We're going to grind it in. You can tell, okay, that, the humility is coming in. That was, see, that's part of the text, verse 6. Humble yourself. <clears throat> Even though we're average, we still, we still want something to overcome. So, so again, you have, you have non-Christian people who, who are saying, you actually are your happiest when you're going through some kind of challenge. But, but what happens is, when we go through the challenge, and we don't keep Jesus in mind, and we don't keep the reality of the enemy in mind, we think something's wrong with us. We think something's wrong with our mind. We think something's wrong with society. We think we've got to do something different. We're going to get to some of this in a moment, but we start to get to this place where we don't view it as a spiritual thing, and so we try to, to fix the spiritual thing with something physical, and it doesn't work. Are you with me? And some of you are in that mode. You think, okay, well, uh, I can fix this in some other way, and society tells you how to do it, right? And so let's just dive in here a little bit more in regards to some of the tactics of Satan. Uh, I've used the acronym, uh, acronym before that Satan will hit you, H-I-T. He'll, he'll go after you when you're hungry or when you're hurting. That's the H. He'll go after you when you were isolated, and he'll run after you when you were tired. So the enemy will literally use hurt in your life, isolation in your life, tiredness, weakness in your life and he'll use those moments to try to deceive you to warp your mind and to pull you away from jesus christ if you need a biblical text for that go no further than matthew chapter 4 where jesus is led away in the wilderness alone while he's fasting and he hasn't slept and satan starts saying i will give you these things just turn to me i will give you these things and jesus Resist. So, you, so again, I'm trying to make you aware. As a church, if you start feeling depression, isolation is the worst thing that you can do. It's the worst thing that you can do. Suppression, one of the worst things you can do. What do I mean by that? So many of us are suppressive in our feelings and our emotions, especially dudes. Right? We don't like to talk about our feelings because feelings aren't cool. But it's one of the worst things you can do is not actually, as a guy, share how you're doing and what you're going through. You've got to talk, right? And sometimes that's me. Sometimes that's another buddy. Sometimes another Christian. But you've got to, you have to communicate. You can't isolate yourself. So, so he'll, he'll isolate you. Don't do that. If you're depressed, you're angry, you're frustrated, you're filled with anxiety, you need to be around more people more often. And for some of you, that makes you, like, squirm in your chair. You're like, because I'm a natural introvert. I've shared that before. My, my wife just surprised me with a, a surprise birthday party on Saturday. And I didn't, I, my birthday was in September. <laughs> so we celebrated 40.5. And we had a party planned, and we were just too busy, and we couldn't do it. And so she surprised me, and she, she put me in the truck. She wouldn't let me drive, and she put a blindfold over my eyes. Uh, all things I hate and loathe. When I got to the surprise party with the blindfold on, several people asked me, how did Allie get the blindfold on you? I said, she has her way. You just know when to say yes, dear, right? And I say that because, you know, my, my sweet spot is not to 
go into a room and have everybody looking at me and go, surprise, we're here for you. We love you. Yay. And then everyone's touching me and hugging me and stuff. And I know I do that every Sunday. It's like, well, how do you do your job? And I, I pray a lot. And I, <laughs> I pray a lot. And, but at the same time, I felt incredibly loved. People, people care about me. Bob apparently cares about me. And, and those moments, though, it makes me realize the importance of, the importance of community. You, you have to be in healthy, good relationships with other human beings to fight the enemy and to fight your, your, your natural tendency to go into a black hole. You're built for it, man. And you have to trust God in this. You're built for community. You're not, and when I say community, you're not built just to show up on Sunday and you're not built just to go to work and grind it out and you have employees that you work with and people that you associate with. No, I'm talking about real, genuine friendships where people actually look at you in the eye and they say, I care about you. And they look you back in the eye and they say, I care about you. And you know at the end of the day, you've got each other's back. You need that. And, and, and the devil will do everything he can to drive you away and isolate you. He'll also tempt you. He'll tempt you with, with your own flesh. You have, ultimately you have three enemies, the flesh, the devil, and the world itself. The system of the world, your own flesh, and Satan obviously, which is what we're talking about. And Satan will use your flesh, your natural sin, and your natural desires to drive you away from God. James 1 says it like this. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Another word for lust, by his own lust. See, the Bible, the Bible does an incredible job not necessarily being super descriptive, descriptive in a moment like this. Notice, notice he doesn't mention every exact sin or list of sins here. He says, no, it's your own, your own particular lust and desire that is anti-God. And isn't that different for each one of us? Right, I mean, Satan, Satan has this way of deceiving and distracting us in all kinds of ways. Now, when I start feeling something that's not good, I don't, I don't do what, what, I don't always do what Peter tells us to do. He says, cast your anxieties. So part of, part of what we need to do is we need to be praying. Sometimes what I do, all of a sudden I'll start feeling down. I'll be alone in my office and I'll open up Amazon just to see what's there. I know it sounds stupid, but, but what new book is there? Maybe I'll buy a new book. Right? For, for, I, I've told you this before. I knew one gal in our church. Whenever she started feeling down, she'd go buy a pair of shoes. Because that's what does it, right? I look so good in these shoes. Or, or we, we, we start to flick through Netflix and we, we binge the next show. Right? Anybody watching Umbrella Academy? All right. Somebody's being honest back there. I appreciate you. Some of you are like, I don't own Netflix. What is Netflix? You, you know what I'm saying? Or social media. Scroll, scroll, scroll until you find something that catches your attention and you grab it and then you read it and it's all distraction. It, it's so you don't actually think about why you're sad. So that's what Satan wants to do. He's that roaring lion and, and Peter knew this, right? Do you remember, do you remember Jesus is speaking with Peter and he says, Peter, guess what? Satan's actually asked for you. Remember the story of Job? Satan comes to God says, you think Job's all that great? Let me beat him up. Job will turn from you. Satan beats him up. Job stands firm, falls more in love with God, 
Peter's kind of going through the same deal. Hey, guess what, Peter? Satan's actually requested for you. He wants you. He wants to sift you like wheat. What he's saying is he wants to crush you. He wants to destroy you. But take heart, Peter. I'm praying for you. You understand? See, Satan is after you to sift you as wheat, to drag you down. You know what he wants to do in this room right now? We know that God is in our presence. We trust God is in our presence. Those of you who are married, he wants to destroy your marriage. If you're a parent, he wants you to utterly ruin your relationship with your children. If you're single, man, he, want, he wants to beat you up, make you feel isolated. For some of you, make you even feel like you'll, you're never going to get married. Like, this is what he wants. That's what he wants to accomplish. Anything that declares the goodness of the gospel, Satan is after. You know the most, the, the, the greatest thing you can do as a, as a married person is to proclaim the gospel in your marriage. Amen? It is. It's a declaration. Ephesians 5. That's what the whole book is about. Every time I do a wedding, I say, the wedding's not about you. And the couple loves that when I do it. And then I say, it's about Jesus. And Jesus binding you together. I've been married for 15 years by God's grace. And because my wife loves the Lord and I love the Lord, man, we've been able to get through this thing called marriage. And I don't say like get through. Marriage is hard. And anybody who tells you it's easy is dumb and they're lying. <laughs> right? What, what, we, what we think we want is to be alone. And then you're like, no, no, I got to get married. And they get married, and you're like, no, I need to be alone. And the... <laughs> so I love Keller's description on marriage when he says, he says, you know what? Uh, some of you are just worried about getting married to the right person. And he says, stop, because you never marry the right person. That's what Keller says. And I think he's right. And then he says, and he's, he, he backs himself up, I'm sure, as a good pastor. And he says, well, that's not true. If you did marry the right person, just give it time. Soon they'll become the wrong person. And what he's declaring is, and I've seen it in 15 years, I'm not the same person that I was. I'm not. And neither is my wife. And last night, you know, we've been going through, you know, our own stuff in marriage and our own stuff with kids. And you guys know, I'm, I'm open. I share with you where, where I'm at in my life. I don't try to hide it. Um, I don't sugarcoat it. I'm not perfect. I'm not the well-put-together pastor. I'm just not. And, and just like Zach said, no one's expecting me to go to KT. And no one here expects me to be perfect. And I... I love that freedom. Not to be dumb, but just to admit, I'm a sinner just like you. I wrestle in life just like you. I'm wrestling through marriage. I'm wrestling through what it's like to be a parent. I'm wrestling through what it's like to be a Christian, and it's hard. It's very, very difficult. And last night, I, I took my wife off to the side because it's been a hard month, like I said. And we sat down on the couch, and we prayed together. And my prayer was not a great prayer, okay? It wasn't a Valley of a Vision prayer book kind of prayer. Have you read that book? Those are beautiful very good prayer. That's not what my prayer was. My prayer was like, Lord, I love you. You know I love you, but God, I'm struggling. Sometimes I don't think you like me. Sometimes I feel like you're just using me, Lord. Right? And right now, God, like, I don't know if I like you. And some of you go, whoa, whoa, hey, wait a minute. You can't say that. Yes, you can. Have you ever read Psalms? You don't know what it's like to really pray until you read through Psalms, and you see in Psalms, David's like, why? Why am I suffering? Why are my enemies encompassed around me? What, what is happening? What God? And then, but, but, but the key is not to stay there. See, 
he says here, cast your anxieties and cares. The word cast is to violently throw. You've got to come back. You say, this is what I'm dealing with, God, and I'm saying it to you, Lord. This is how I feel. This is where I'm at. But I know, and then you have to declare the truth of what you know in the word of God to be true. I know you're good, and I have to put my hope in you. I know that this is a season of my life. I know this is a season in our church. This is a season in parenting that, that, that eventually will, will be better. One of the things um, you have to understand is, is what happens in a moment of suffering and, and temptation and deception and sadness and misery is you and I will have a tendency in our consumeristic culture to think, to think that if we just change our circumstances, we'll be, we'll be better off. Again, this is an American problem. Because we have a society that is built on, built on consumerism. And so ingrained in us, the last thing that we have in our minds, which is, which is we're now, okay, Satan's after you. He wants to attack you. A uh, few things that I've tried to cover, he wants to deceive you. He wants to accuse you. He's the father of lies. He wants to lie to you. He wants to trick you. He wants to drive you away from God. His whole goal is to get you to turn from Christ, to blind you, to confuse you, and to enslave you. That's his goal. Okay, so what I want to do now is, what do we do about it? And the, the, the call that, that Peter gives us is the call in verse 12. Stand firm. Stand firm. John Piper says this in regards to what's happening in so many young people's lives when it comes to standing firm. He says this. Younger people today, maybe this is true of you. Think of changing, leaving, shifting, moving, modifying, and swapping in order to enhance life. Almost anything but enduring. People quit, they move, they change their minds, but a long, hard, steady, hold the course obedience is a rare and wonderful thing. You think about it. Satan wants to destroy you, and so in your mind you think, well, I just... I just need to get rid of this spouse and trade it in for another spouse. If I could just get my kids to change, I mean, is there, is there a, a swap? Is there a way I can swap? Is that possible? I'll give you one of mine for one of yours. Or better yet, I'll give you two of mine for one of yours. You know what I'm saying? Like, just change, change circumstance, situations. For me, even at times, you know, I've had, I've had people in the church say, say to me, Jesse, like, please don't. Don't move. We know that this has been a hard winter for you because, like I said, I don't go down the KT line. People ask me why I don't ski. I like my ACLs. That's all I know what to say. I like them. like them a lot. And, and there's this feeling sometimes, an emotion, that if I, if I get a new house or if I get a new phone or if I get a new wife, I get new kids, I get I, I just consumeristic mentality. It's not satisfying anymore. It's not happy anymore. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And, and the solution is to get rid of that thing. No, it isn't. That's not the call from God. That's not the call from the Bible. The call is, and Peter has emphasized heavily, and I have to say this every time I share these kind of things, heavily the grace of Jesus Christ. So this isn't like, hey, listen, man, you need to stand firm because that's how you get God. No, 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 no. If you believe in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received Jesus. There's no working for Jesus. There's receiving Jesus. 
He's for you, and he loves you, and he cares about you. And you have to trust him as Lord. He knows better than you. Your mind is too mushy. You're too back and forth. You're too bipolar. You may not be clinically bipolar, but you're bipolar. You don't know what you want, when you want it, and when you get it, you're still not happy. You're no different than any other child out there, are you? Let's be honest. That's the humble part. Humble yourself. Admit it. Admit that, that, that you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you want. You think you know, and then as soon as you get it, you don't want it. Why? Because circumstances never change. You see, if you, if you all of a sudden, Wayne was saying, you know, this is one of those winners where, sure enough, if you wait till spring, you're going to get a good deal on a house or a good deal on a snowblower. Right? Some of you moved here at summertime, right? And you were like, I love Tahoe. And then winter came and you were like, I'm going back to the bay. And then those who love it here are like, see you later. Go home. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like there's this weird relationship we have. And hey, be, you have to love those people. Don't laugh at them. You have to love them. Jesus loves our, our everybody. Your circumstance doesn't change because whenever you change your circumstance, you always take the one thing with you that's the real problem, your heart. You trade other problems in for new problems. So, so let's, let's, let's be really honest uh, about, about our struggle. It isn't because of your circumstance. You go, well, how do I know that? I know that because if any time you read anybody in the Bible who talks about true joy, they never attach it to their circumstance. I mean, the Apostle Paul... That dude, that dude probably lost his family, lost his ministry status, was beaten, abused, accused, dragged before courts, put into prison, which is where he wrote most of the book that we're reading now, the Bible. I said last week, it's been said of Paul, he's one of the top five most influential leaders in the, all of history of humanity. And you read his writings, you see incredible joy. I mean, he talks about it all the time. And he's in jail. Ladies and gentlemen, he's in jail. And about his circumstances, what does he say? Light. It's light. Momentary. Affliction. The only way that you can look at your circumstances light and momentary affliction is by looking into eternity and realizing this life is 80, 90 years old, whatever it is that you get, and then everything else for eternity is after that. This is nothing. So I, I, try, I try really hard when, when somebody who, who is now a grandparent and I talk about how hard it is to be raising my children, every single Sunday I mention that reality of how hard it is to raise kids, a, a grandparent will tell me it goes by incredibly fast. And so there's a part of me that goes, okay, I got to slow this down. And there's a part of me that goes, when? <laughs> right? When we're almost almost, well, we're halfway, halfway out of car seats. Now, if you're a parent, you know car seats are a form of hell. I hate car seats. I hate them. And, and so whenever, whenever one of them, there's two now that aren't in car seats anymore, I just praise Jesus. And, and C.S. Lewis talks about that. He says, 
He says, man, all of life, it's really created for praise. It's created for worship. When you go to the top of a mountain and you're skiing, <clears throat> you praise. You're praising the glory of the mountain. When you get married and you're standing there for the first time, you're praising the beauty of your wife or your spouse. It's filled with praise. We've said this before. No one's worship neutral. You're, you're created to worship. You're created to praise. And the way out of depression and the way out of anxiety is to move away from what you think your circumstance should be and to move to a place of gratitude where you just say, God, you're too good. You're too good to me. And I don't know if this is true for some of you, but as, as life has progressed for me, I'm like begging for more simplicity. Just get rid of the distractions. and I mean, stuff breaks, and then you got to deal with it, and then you get that feeling of like stuff owns you and you don't own it. Uh, one of my toilets broke the other day, and I was like, Forget, I don't even want to own toilets anymore. <laughs> I, I just want to dig a hole outside because it won't break and just go, go out there. <laughs> just get rid of the phone, get rid of the TV, get rid of the couch, get rid of all of it. Like, get rid of stuff. It's all distraction. It just, uh, I just almost like purge me of it, Lord. And just bring me to the place where I recognize like, like you've been too good to me. And he's too good to you. He's so good to you. You've got clothes, you've got a car, you've got friends, you've got a church you can come to. We're, not, we're only one of many that you can choose from. This isn't even the only church. And if you don't like this one, you can go home, which, is, which you shouldn't do, and you, should pull, you can pull up somebody online that's way better preacher than I am. Way more educated, way, way more easier to listen to, and you sit in front of your screen and you can isolate yourself, which is what the devil wants you to do, and you can listen to a better message than this. You know why you got to put up with the mediocre teaching in a church like this? So you can be around other people while the preaching of the word is happening. So that you'll be pulled out of yourself. Because the worst thing in life is to be self-absorbed and to be selfish and to think it's all about you. You, you know, I never planned on having four kids. And the reason God gave me four kids is because God loves me enough that I won't make life about me. And some of you, some of you that might be, <clears throat> excuse me, lost on you, it isn't on me, man. Because when you start realizing that you've got to care for somebody else and, and you've got to love them and that their spiritual well-being is somehow a little bit, not all the way, dependent on you. And same thing with even a pastor of a church. Like, I feel like God's put all these things in my life that I wouldn't naturally run to. And I've shared this before. I, I never had any intention of being a pastor, none at all. I didn't go running after it. I didn't pursue it. I didn't go to seminary going, man, I can't wait to lead a church. I didn't do that. I ran from it. In fact, I felt it in my heart, and I went, no. And just like Jonah, I ran. And then God dragged me into it. Why? Because he loves me enough to force me into community, force me into other people's lives, force me to serve other people, because that is where joy comes from. And every now and then, my flesh rises up and says, just bail. I'm just being honest. And then full circle comes, and God calls me to stand firm and to fight. So I was praying with my wife on the couch. I told her this. I told her, you know I'm not perfect. Which she said, yeah, that's true. I said, but here's what you do know. I will not quit. I'm not going to roll over. I'm not going to let Satan defeat my marriage. I'm not going to allow Satan to have his way in my kids' lives. I'm not going to quit on Sierra Bible Church and those that call this church their family. I'm not going to quit on you. 
I'm going to show up. It, even if it feels like it's just being dutiful, I'm going to show up in faith. I'm going to trust that God's going to use my imperfection to declare the goodness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep fighting. And I have to because, because it's the call that, that Paul gives. Paul, first of all, before he dies, what does he say? I fought the good fight. And then, as a good disciple maker, Paul then tells Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight. Ultimately, what I'm calling us as a church to do in response to the attack of the enemy is to stand firm in our faith and fight. And the only way that you can do that, you go, well, how do I fight? You fight in humility. You don't fight in strength. I remember there was one day a few years back, I felt like our family was under attack, and I was in my room by myself praying, and all of a sudden I started finding myself talking to Satan. I was like, God, bring it on, bro. I'll take you. And then then all of a sudden I was like, whoa, man, I might want to back up a little bit. Because, Because he's powerful. Don't, do not be ignorant that he is some weakling. He isn't. And the descriptions that the Bible gives are meant to strike a kind of fear in you. He is a dragon. And so what do I do? What do I do in fighting? Lord, I need you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to defend my home. Luther Luther says it like this. He says, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve hell, tell him this. I admit I deserve death and hell. I admit it. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. So when we say fight the enemy, and and Paul's saying fight the good fight, he's saying you need to pray. You need to cast those anxieties upon the Lord. You need to pray with one another. You need to ask for prayer. And you need to ask the Lord to fight that battle. And you need to do it, as Paul said, as Peter says here, sober-minded. The sober-minded is an important verse. Don't get intoxicated. This isn't a time to drink alcohol. This isn't a time to use drugs. This isn't a time to scroll through social media. This isn't a time to binge on Netflix. This isn't a time to scroll through your direct TV. This isn't a time to go shopping for shoes. It's a time to sit with Jesus and say, help me, God. I need you, God. And to do it until he breaks through. Until the, the hope comes, the help comes. You can't do this on your own. And he tells us to stand firm, to pray, to cast those anxieties, and to be watchful. It brings us back to where we started. You have to actually realize there is an enemy, and he may be trying to destroy you. I don't want to be oversimplistic. I, I, I realize and I recognize that that some of what people are going through are just the natural process of life. Right? When Becky Underwood says goodbye to this world and hello to the next, that is the natural process of this life because of sin, and she's going to go to be with the Lord, and it isn't because she has sinned, it isn't because she's under attack, it's because Jesus is calling her home. Sometimes that's just as simple as it is. But sometimes we have to also recognize, you know what, man? Jesus loves me. And if Jesus loves me, the devil hates me. And I need the love of Christ to be my defender in this war. You are at war, my friends. What are you going to do? 
What am I going to do? Are you going to roll over? Are you going to wave the white flag? Are you going to let him have his way? No way. We're going to stand together and we're going to fight together. We're going to do it in weakness. We're going to call upon Jesus Christ to fight our good fight and to lead us to the way of salvation. And then, and only then, when Jesus calls us home, are we free not to fight. The only time you're ever free from this warfare on this planet is when he calls you home. Until then, let's soldier on. And James says, the Bible's not ignorant of this, James says, are you sick? Call upon the elders for prayer. So he recognizes that there are some of us in the room, when we hear the words fight, we're at such a blow place, such a horrible place, we can't do it on our own. And James's encouragement to you, if that's you, is to call upon your church leaders to confess what you're going through and ask for them to pray over you. But if that isn't you, and you're like, man, okay, muster, muster that faith. Enliven that faith. And the best way to do that ties in with what we said the last few weeks. Humble yourself and serve each other. Don't make life about you. Encourage somebody. Like I said, February's been amazing for some of you. I think my, na- my neighbor is a big ski head. She's, she said, praying for more powder. And I was like, what? What is wrong with you? And I said, I literally did say, I said, why do you need more snow? How much is enough? And he said, he said he was looking for one more pow day, you know. And uh, I said, okay, um, I'm going to pray against you. And <laughs> I'll pray for June when I can slim, swim in Donner Lake. June and July. July can't come fast enough. Until then, though, you, you just open up like I do. You open up the garage door. And you yank the cord on the Honda snowblower. And you dig into the snow. And you say, Lord, thank you for being good to me. And, you know, I, to, to a degree, I have to confess. You know, I've been complaining. It's sin. You know, I get to pastor and shepherd God's people in one of the most desirable, beautiful places on planet Earth. God, thank you. And amongst that, we've got some beautiful, amazing, gifted people who are part of our church and our community here. We've got some really, really cool people here. And I'm, I'm including you in that too. Some of you are like, well, it's not me. It is you, Zach, I promise. I One last dig, may I just? (laughs) No. Zach's very talented, actually. Let's pray. Not at skiing, he says, yeah. Lord, we are grateful that you care enough about us to not leave us to our own devices. I'm sure at times, I know for me, it feels like I'm actually fighting you when the real truth is it isn't you, Lord. You are for me. You're fighting with me. It's the enemy that is my, my problem. I pray, Lord, that we all as a church together now would humble ourselves in your sight, that we would admit we have great need for you, that you would do a work in our hearts, Lord. For some of us, we may feel dead inside. I ask for the flame of love to be reignited as we enter into the season of spring, as it is sure to come, 
that you would also use that new season to awaken and bring fresh fire and life, joy into our lives. We recognize we can't do it on our own. We need you. We need you so desperately, Lord. And you are so good to us. Make us grateful and thankful. We trust you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.